Welcome to Sliding Doors, the podcast that delves into the decisions and moments that shape our lives. I am Jenny Becker, and throughout my life, career and relationships, I've always been fascinated with the notion that everything happens for a reason, alongside my love for the 90s movie classic, Sliding Doors. Have you ever really thought about those moments that shaped your life? Those decisions that could have gone either way in the opportunities presented to you? What if you had taken that job? or told that person in high school how much you liked them. Each episode, I will talk to some amazing people from all walks of life and chat about their sliding doors moments. We will reflect on how a decision or moment changed the course of their lives and how things might have looked if they had never happened. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. My guest today is Sarah Pimbra. Sarah is a New York Times bestselling, Sunday Times number one, and international bestselling author and screenwriter, including Behind Her Eyes, Dead to Her and Insomnia. Born in Buckinghamshire, Sarah has published more than 25 novels across various genres, including thriller and fantasy, and is published in over 30 territories worldwide. She has also been a screenwriter in adaptations for her novels for TV, as well as in original projects including Behind Her Eyes, now a smash Netflix TV series. Sarah was the 2009 winner for the British Fantasy Award for Best Short Story and also the 2010 and 2014 winner of the British Fantasy Award for Best Novella. She lives in Stratford with her dog Ted and has just adapted her most recent novel Insomnia for Left Bank Pictures and Paramount Plus, filming this summer. As someone who has had such a successful and thrilling career journey so far, I cannot wait to chat with her today and find out all about the moments that made it. So welcome to Sliding Doors, Sarah. Hi, thank you for having me. I can't wait to chat to you today. There's so much to delve into. Um, And I guess I wanted to start by really understanding how did you discover your talent for writing novels like were you always a writer when you were younger were you coming up with stories and plots and ideas where how did you discover that you were so good (laughs) people have got varying opinions on that um I think all writers are born writers to a certain extent you know whether they don't write for 20 years I think as a child they will always have been involved in making up stories and I, yeah, I was always making up stories. I remember starting writing a story when I was very, very young. My mum read to us a lot and taught me to read way before I went to school, you know, and we lived in a lot of foreign countries, so there wasn't TV, so books were, you know, kind yeah. of... And then when I went to boarding school, I wrote... I remember I started writing a book. It was terrible. It was like a Logan's Run ripoff, and I got <laughs> to page 40, and then it all kind of went... It was like a YA Logan's Run. Yeah. Um. And I wrote like little plays for school and stuff. So yeah, it was always there and it was going to, you know, I think one of the things we'll talk about is Mm. I always went a different path. Um, But I think it was always meant to be this way. So yeah, yeah. then I just, you just carry on and then you reach a point in your life. I mean, I was about 30 and I was living in Devon and I wasn't, 
you know, making a lot of money. And I just thought I'm going to write a book. I'd written some short stories and bits Mm -hmm. and pieces. And one I'd sent off actually, and someone had written back and said, this story is terrible. You'll never be a writer. (laughs) But it's crazy because everyone has those rejections and you've got, I think people need to hear these stories because even the best writers, the best, whatever, they've all had rejection at some point. Yeah. And I think there's a balance between the arrogance of no, I'm brilliant and mm-hmm. taking a rejection and thinking, well, maybe that story wasn't great, but I want to work harder and, you know, and then working harder and, and yeah. trying. And, and listen, know. there's billions of people in the world and we all have different tastes and, mm. you know, we all want to read and listen to different things. So someone somewhere is going to enjoy it. And it was a very it. pretentious little magazine. <laughs> I'd just like to point out they went out of business very quickly. And here There we go. <laughs> and here you are. I love that. And I love that you say that it's kind of been been kind of with you since you were younger, because I think from, from looking and reading and looking at everything that you do, it has to be something that's kind of ingrained in you because mm-hmm. it's not easy to just come up with ideas for stories and I think especially like when you're going um more to sort of you know I started off as a horror writer and bits of fantasy and I've written fairy tales and I was always as a child very 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 afraid of things in the night mm. you know ghosts witches monsters oh, me too. that kind of thing and you know I would even at boarding school I would wake up like one of the other girls a girl called Katie Westcombe who was older than me and I would wake her up and get in her bed and make her talk to me like all night. Really? Or cow, really. You know? like, <laughs> and then it would be like an hour before we had to get up. I'd be like, okay, I can go back to bed now. So it'd be like really yeah. Um, But, you know, it paid me well. Yeah, it definitely has. And when do you get a spark for an idea? Like, is there is there a format to it? Does it just come to you at random points? Like, where do you get your ideas from? I think, I mean, it's a million dollar question, isn't it? But mm. I think... And people people get quite pretentious about this, but as with any job, the more you do it, the more you look for ideas. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think I read somewhere, I think it might be Ian Rankin, has a folder of newspaper clippings of crimes and stuff that you think, oh, that's quite interesting or whatever. So I will kind of mull things and I'll look at weird sites about paranormal stuff or I'll look at crimes. Like I wrote a book called 13 Minutes, which isn't at all paranormal. And it's um, and it was inspired inspired is a terrible word to use in this in this instance but um by the murder of a teenage girl by her friends in mm-hmm. Canada and it yeah. was and obviously my story is not that story but it, it was like oh my gosh this toxic dynamic between friends you know so I used that and and other times like I was I was planning to write a completely different book before the one I've just handed in called We Live Here Now and then I watched an awful Patricia Highsmith adaptation film. Mm-hmm. But watching that, I just got suddenly the idea for this other book. And I thought, okay, I'll write that. So it is, you, your brain starts to look. Yeah. Ideas. And, and often people say that, you know, these creative ideas come at random times. Like how, when you get the idea, do you write it down? Do you put it in your phone? Like how do you, you know, cause you could be anywhere when it comes to well, you. Yeah. I mean, I tend to have a notebook, not, I don't carry a notebook around with me. If I was going to, if I think I'm going to forget it, I'd put it in my phone, you know? Um, but I just start to doodle it and often I'll doodle an idea for weeks and it'll often change, you know, but yeah. then once I've got the ending in place, then I start really thinking about the book or whatever and you're quite unique because you do always have your ending don't you before you write yeah I have to have the ending in play yeah Yeah. and then I know what I'm working towards I mean to the point of the whole the last chapter of behind her eyes was in the book pitch wow you know so it's like I have that right this is how it ends that's how I've got to get there and if the ending isn't right I find that everything slows down and I have to read it and I guess you find the process that works for you and it must be quite an individual thing yeah I mean I know people who write a first draft with no idea where it's going and they write it in like a month but then they do the work at the other end so it's where you do the work the work is the same whichever you know exactly they'll either edit for months or they plan for months it's yeah um, oh, I think that's so great. And what's your kind of, when you're sitting and writing a book, so I think we all have this idyllic thing in our minds that <laughs> yeah. you have a desk and you're looking out onto the green fields of the countryside. Yeah. What, Having what just is, done an hour of yoga. Yes. Yeah. What is it in reality for you? Where do you write and how do you do oh, that? Oh, on my sofa. Yeah. Or in bed or, I mean, I've got a dog, so it used to be I got up early, got a cup of tea and just wrote for two hours in my bed before the world woke up, you know, mm-hmm. and then sort of potted around with my day went to Tesco all those interesting things yeah do a bit more in the afternoon but now I tend to get up and walk the dog first thing 
and then come back and work. But yeah, I mean, I'm not pretentious about where I work. It's like so wherever it's comfortable. I do have a desk, but I don't find it a comfortable place to work. Oh my gosh, I have a desk and I and it looks so beautiful. Yeah. And I sit on the couch every time I need yeah. to do something. Yeah. My desk comes out when I need to print something. Yeah. And sometimes, because I've got an iMac on there, sometimes if I'm doing like a, like some physio exercises or whatever, I'll I'll use that as the video monitor. Yeah. <laughs> about it this expensive piece of kit it's crazy yeah. well it's good I'm glad, glad to know I'm not the only one yeah, that always sits it's just, on the sofa it's a total waste of money but I feel like I should have one I always yes. thought if I'm ever successful I'm going to be the person that has a perfect coffee machine I don't even drink coffee you know does yoga <laughs> yeah. looks great you know reads intelligent books all this stuff and no I'm still the same idiot I was <laughs> okay good I'm glad because in reality I think we all feel the same yeah and- exactly And we've spoken a bit about your job is really unique. And I think a lot of people, you know, probably look at what you do and think it's the absolute dream. You know, you, you write novels, you now write screenwriting and they've Mm. kind of, your novels have gone into TV. What do you prefer doing? So you do so much. What do you prefer in terms of the novels and the screenwriting? It's really hard, isn't it? I mean, they're both, I mean, I think the the thing for me is that I've written 20 odd, 28 books now. So, um, and I've done, you know, I did an episode of New Tricks years ago and then I've sold screenplays, but nothing that has got made until we did Insomnia because I didn't mm-hmm. write Behind Her Eyes, someone else adapted Behind Her Eyes. So with Insomnia, I've really enjoyed the process of working with a production company all the way, you know, and, and not just, yeah. you know, I've been paid for a lot of pilot episodes and sometimes you get, you know, a broadcaster will pay for an episode too and then it doesn't happen and blah, blah, blah. But to know that we're making this show is really exciting. And I like the interaction with other people. And I think it's just that, you know, I'm 51 now. So I was 50 when we, you know, started this process. And it's nice to do something different. Yeah. From writing books after book and this treadmill of books and publishing is in a funny space after the pandemic. And, you know, like it's people aren't quite sure, you know, like it used to be you've got a tube campaign, you've got this, whereas now mm-hmm. they're on the tube. They don't know quite how to market a book. Yeah. There's a really big thing for 90p Kindle. So where does that leave hardbacks? You know, so it's a really unsettled time. And I'm very lucky in that, you know, I'm I'm doing well for myself. So it's Mm -hmm. not a financial worry, but it's always a kind of, you you kind of like, well, how is this book going to do? And so I'm really enjoying the, the shift. So at the moment, I mean, it's a bit like having an affair. Yeah, I'm <laughs> but you know the books have yeah. always been there for me, so I feel like I owe them some respect. Exactly. And do you do you feel a bit like because I think it must be quite pressurized when you're a writer and your book does well because you're like I've then got to keep doing well. But do you mm. almost feel at the moment like you you've been you can give yourself a bit of that creative freedom to be like you know as you say I've got to this amazing place and now I'm just going to kind of do what I want to do. There is a bit of that because, I mean, I unlike, a, you know, there's been very much a cult of debut authors. So you have a lot of people who've had their first book out and it's done really well. And then they kind of flounder a bit because how do you follow that? And Whereas for me, it was a long journey. You know, Behind Her Eyes was my 23rd book. Yeah. So I had written a lot of books before yeah. I had the big smash hit. You know, 13 Minutes did quite well. And I was earning enough to make a living, but I certainly was, you know, I was watching the, you know, I was careful of what I spent yeah. my money on, et cetera. Um, so I kind of have had that from all levels. And then in the pandemic, I just remember thinking when I started out, my plan was have no mortgage, which mm-hmm. I don't, and I don't have a massive, you know, some people, they buy big, massive, but I've got a three bed semi-detached with a guy, yeah. you know, like it's not, I don't see the point of, you know, there's mm-hmm. me and a dog, why spend money on a big flash house? But I kind of was like, the point of having the money in the bank was to be able to do, this should be fun, you yeah. know? So, I, you know, my new thing is, especially because I've got all the screenwriting stuff going on, thankfully, I'm mulling what I'm going to write next. You know, like I'm kind Which is of... a nice place well, to let's be. Let's see what I want to do. I'm, I don't think I want to necessarily write another thriller, but if suddenly an idea came to me that was a thriller, but I might want to do something. You know, I, I love those books like Piranesi and things that are slightly more fantastical. So who knows? We'll see. We'll see. And I think we really have to take advantage of these times in our lives. They don't happen all the time. No. And when you're in this, you know, when you've, as you say, you've got a bit of this freedom at this yeah. point in your life, take advantage of it. You don't and have you to know, keep I never give. I never give writing advice because I think it's also subjective. And because mm-hmm. it's worked for you, does not, you know, you yeah. think it's the 
right way, but actually you could have just been lucky with the way you did it. And, you know, everyone has their own methods. But the one, the only advice I would say to people is not all my, even since Behind Her Eyes, you know, Dead to Her did not do overly well because it was pandemic book. And, you know, it's all been a bit of a, you know, can be a bit up and down. But I've made good relationships over these 20 years mm-hmm. in publishing. So, you know, people, your reputation as maybe someone who's not so hard to work with or whatever, you have more opportunity. You know, people are like, yeah, I know that I'm lucky in that I know I will sell my next book. It might not be for hundreds of thousands of pounds, but I will sell my next book. And that's yeah. a safe place to be in. But that's yeah. 20 years in the industry. You know? Exactly. And you're right. Like, I think we've got to put such an emphasis on kindness. You don't know mm-hmm. who you're going to meet. And yeah, I think half of the reason why people make it in this, in any industry is through being the person that they are and kind yeah. of the relationships that they build. And in TV and film, a friend of mine said to me once, the biggest advice anyone can give you, and especially working with Hollywood, is be easy to fire. Yes. You know, because people fire you for a million reasons in screenwriting. And if, if you if you take it graciously and you move on, they're going to hire you for something else. Whereas if you scream and shout, and who's who are you helping? You know exactly. And the exactly. same with publishing; it's a business at the end of the day. And if you get dumped by your publisher, it's kind of horrible. But you just get up and carry on. You know what else are you going to do? Something else will happen. And. I loved Behind Her Eyes. I mean, I was absolutely gripped and a grip to the Netflix series, which I'm sure a lot of other people They were. did so well with it, didn't they? They really did. Really How well. did it feel for you watching it? Because was that the first adaptation that you that you had from a book? Mm, yeah, um, it, was, it was really good because Left Bank really included me all the way along. And I'm very much of the opinion um, that if you sell the rights to your book and you're not the one adapting it, you step away, mm-hmm. you know, like it's no longer yours. It's yeah. their baby. Your baby is the book. You don't give notes. You don't, it's not your problem. You know, like it can mm-hmm. be good. It can be bad. You've taken the money. That's yeah. their baby. So I, they kept saying to me, do you want to read the scripts? And I was like, nope. But, you know, but I went to the read through. So mm-hmm. obviously I, you know, I saw it all there. And then I saw the first two episodes um, we had to do a Zoom screening because we were in lockdown. <laughs> so we couldn't even days. have a party or anything. There yeah. was no such party. Um, but when I saw the whole thing, I was really pleased. But I, I knew it would be fine because Jess, who we will talk about, mm-hmm. you know, in a bit, um, I really trusted her. I still trust her. You know, she's my my producer, really. So, yeah, yeah, it was really exciting. And now I can't see the characters as other than those actors, which, you know, really? when you a character like Louise, who was yeah. a dumpy blonde, and then you've got beautiful Simona, woman of colour. But now in my head, if I look at the book again, I'm like, what is this blonde woman doing in my book? You know, That's amazing, though. And I was going to ask you this, because you are about to start filming Insomnia, and you just September. said, you've been, yeah, you've been part of that process. Were you, you know, how was it casting? Were you part of the casting of the... Oh, the, yeah. I mean, we're yeah. still casting. We're still casting. Um, so, yeah, because I'm writing all six, I'm, you know, like, yeah. to, you know totally in the process. Um, it's interesting with casting. What I hadn't realized was what a struggle casting is, like availabilities. And then if your shoot moves, availabilities change. And, you know, and then you need to get your lead in place before you start looking at the other characters. So it has been interesting. We've got a great Emma, but I'm not allowed to say who it is yet. Okay, that's very exciting. I immediately start thinking of casting now. Because it helps me write it. Because I'm thinking if we're looking at that kind of actor for this part then I'm like interesting whereas I've yeah. never when I write a book I never visualize a character because I'm in the head really so you're looking out aren't you if you're in yeah. the head I never I put a little bit of description into please people mm-hmm. but unless it's relevant to the character like if you're writing a character who is anorexic or whatever which I probably wouldn't write but you know then no you yeah you want it to be the, the kind of visionary of the person yeah, reading you know Oh, it's so interesting. And actually, a mutual friend of ours said that you just simply don't know when to stop. And I feel like it's exactly <laughs> when I'm listening to you, I'm like, this is, you just do so you much. Know, it's amazing. Stop, all there is is the void staring exactly. at you. I'm like, oh, God. Keep going. I'm terrible at relationships. I'm terrible at all the good stuff. I don't have kids. I don't have a husband. All I've got is my dog and work. <laughs> that's That's enough. I'm the yeah, same. I've just got yeah. this podcast, so we'll we'll oh, we'll get five. going. High five lady. over the screen. <laughs> um, so before we go on to talking about your moments, um, mm. number one, have you seen the film? Which I'm guessing that you have. Of course, of course. So what do you believe in then when it comes to the sliding doors theory? So the theory of the what if moments, coincidence, oh my God, these timing. Haunt. These haunt my every day. Yeah, like, because I think like you know you read stories about 
especially like nine eleven. Obviously, I always go to the dark sliding doors. Moment. No, but yeah, like a lot of people do. Who got up late and didn't make it to the office just before the buildings collapsed, or you mm-hmm. read stories about someone who didn't get to the gate of the plane that crashed, or you know, yeah. or someone took someone else's seat. And I think, I think, I mean, I once almost wrote a book about it about how it could paralyze you every yeah. decision you make, you know. And I remember reading a book called The Dice Man when I was at university, which is a great book. And this guy decides he's going to live his life on the roll of a dice. So each number yeah, wow. has a decision consequence, you know? Yeah, I like that. Um, so, yeah, I do constantly think about, you know, those moments. or And you find out that sometimes you've dated someone that turns out, you know, you lived a street apart for 10 years and never, you know, you hear these stories. So I think, I think, and I think, we just will never know. Mm-hmm. You, know, you never know quite how things would turn out if you took the other path in various. Yeah, you don't know. And actually, you're right. I mean, obviously, I'm very engrossed in the sliding doors theory yeah. of the podcast. And yeah, you do. You start to think, what if, what if, what if yeah. I do this? What if I do that? But I agree with you. We don't know what would happen. And what is kind of exciting about the podcast is, is that we get to kind of think about what might happen and yeah. kind of go through your moments. And your moments are great. So we're going <laughs> to kick off with your first one. So your first moment is when I was in Scotland, I almost went to America for a couple of months. But instead, I came back down south and went to a writing convention and met an editor that led to my first book deal. So this is a brilliant sliding doors (laughs) moment. It's a real kind of what if situation that feels like it was meant to be. So take us back and explain why you're going to America and what stopped you from going. Okay, so I had been teaching for Mm -hmm. six years and I had published books, but they were published paperbacks in America. They were only in America, horror novels. And I had this idea for what became a matter of blood I wanted to do a paradise lost in the modern world sort of telling story in a crime novel because I was tired of writing these very straight horror novels you know and I was a bit like different so I had done a couple of um Torchwood novels which paid like five thousand a pop which was a lot of money it was more than my American paperbacks by far and so I'd I'd done two and I'd saved the money and I thought okay I can take six months off So I rented my house out to some other teachers that I knew. I was going to go to America to stay with my friend Elizabeth, who was teaching over there. Okay. So I had this 10 grand and I was like, this is good. I'll get me lots of dollars. I can go for three months to America and then I'll come back. And my friend had a house in Scotland um, and she was living in Dubai. And she said, and then you can have three months in the house in Scotland. So I was like, great, I can get all this stuff done. And then the dollar and the pound went haywire. So suddenly oh. my money was not going to, you know, by the time I'd bought my plane fare and whatever and rented yeah. my apartment, it was never going to go the time. So I was like, oh, my gosh. So my friend in Scotland said, well, just go to Scotland, take cats at the time and drive yeah. up there. So I drove up to Perth and I had this vision. Now you're probably a bit young for this, but there was this show called Hamish Macbeth back mm-hmm. in the 90s. And it was Robert Carlyle and he was a policeman in this little Scottish town. And in my head, I was going <laughs> some gorgeous, you know, I thought I'll fit into the village. That was going to be, be life. Lovely. Yeah. This is how life is going to be. And actually, I remember going to the pub in Scotland to work one day and I opened the door and when it was like walking into the slaughtered lamb in, you know, American <laughs> Melbourne, London. And there was just all these men at the bar and they just turned and looked at me and I pretended to look for someone. <laughs> <laughs> And I hadn't realized how lonely it was going to be. Yeah. Going from teaching full time to Mm -hmm. working by yourself and living in a town where you only knew, I got to know the neighbors and that was it. So I was umming and ahhing. And then I thought, well, maybe I will go to America after all. You know, maybe I'll just go for a few weeks and just do something. And then I'm going to have to get a teaching job. And one of my horror novels was up for best fantasy novel at this convention down Mm -hmm. in Fantasy Com. And I was umming and ahhing what to do. And I messaged a friend of mine, Lucy, and I was like, oh, I'm really lonely up here. And, you know, I'm thinking of going to America or, you know, should I go to Fantasy Con? And she was like, Sarah, it's fine to say it didn't work out. Yeah. Get in the car, drive back down, down, stay in my house till you sort your house out, do your shit, the cats can stay here. I've never come down the M1 so fast in my life. I mean, I don't drive anymore. I'm a terrible driver. But I literally, I think I stopped for coffee once. And as great. I got closer and closer to Milton Keynes, my spirits were lifting with joy. That's great. So I was staying with her and I thought, well, sorry, I'm going to go to this convention. So I went and I don't think I won the award, but, you know, I think, you know, I was up for it. I didn't win it. Mm-hmm. But some another editor I knew was there 
um, he was a short story editor. Um, we'd been chatting and then he talked to this editor from Glance and she was like, is Sarah just writing horror? And he was like, no, I think she wants to do some other stuff. And so then she said to me, do you want to do lunch? So I was like, yeah, great. So I messaged a friend of mine and said, oh, Jeff Fletcher wants to do lunch with me. And he said, have a plan. Because if she's doing yeah. lunch, she wants to buy something from you. So you're already mm. foot in the door. So he was this this friend of mine, Mark Chadbourne. He writes Wilbur Smith books now, you know. He, he writes a lot, yeah. but one of, one of his things he does is Wilbur Smith books. And um, I said, well, I've got this idea for a book. He said, well, why not make it a trilogy? Because then you get a three-book deal. Yeah, smart. Right. So I quickly had to expand this into three books as a plan, you know, and she bought it. And then I never went back to teaching. So that was my first UK book deal. Amazing. Yeah. So that was 2008, I think 2009, we did that deal. And the book came out 2010. That's so great. Because actually, I mean, your friend that said that you were there interested were so in writing. There were so many stages. Yeah. Because yeah. I was going to say, because your friend kind of being like, yeah, she's open to more. Yeah. He actually was that probably was also... my sliding moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and also he's quite a vitriolic person. And, and if if we had not got, been friends, mm-hmm. That could have gone a completely different way. Definitely. You know, so, yeah. It's so interesting because as well, like, you know, you, you don't know if you would have turned out to be a writer, but it kind of seems that the stars aligned for this moment to happen. Mm. And the fact that you did go to the convention, yeah. that you met her and that it happened then in your life. Do you feel like it happening at that specific time when you had been feeling lonely, you were probably like mm. waiting for something more to happen. Do you think the timing was just right for you? Oh, totally. Because I would have had to go back into teaching and whether I would have I mean, I would have kept writing, but whether I yeah. would have had that breakthrough in the same way, you know, it would have, you know, been another couple of years. You know, who knows? I mean, I think I think I would have got a UK publishing deal because I am so driven. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think I would have got one eventually. Um, but it was a it was a you know, I just never looked back from that yeah. point. Yeah. And mm-hmm. how how did that first book deal change your life then? What happened subsequently after that deal that really kind of changed things for you? Well, it was I changed my agent. I got the agent that I'm with now. Um, she, I got her with that book deal. Um, it just led to me being quite immersed in, first of all, fantasy kind of writing world, because then they bought another trilogy from me, which was a, a, a YA fantasy trilogy. So I was writing these at the same time. So yeah. between the two, I mean, no one ever talks about money in publishing, but I got 15000 a book. Worldwide, so I didn't even get to sell the rights. They, you know, you know, and I think people are getting less than that these days. But it was, you know, my my, it was. There normally was a ten grand a book was the Orion basic Mm -hmm. at that time. But my agent was good, and she pushed them up. So by doing two books a year, I was earning the same as I was teaching. I was earning thirty thousand, you know. But I had to really think. You have to get used to not having it coming in in a monthly salary. Yes. Oh, it you changes know? everything. Yeah, yeah, because you're getting some when you sign and then some when the hardback comes out, some when the paperback comes out, some when you deliver the book. So you're getting it in these little chunks mm-hmm. and you have to kind of parcel it out. But I always, I think there's a, there's a real problem with people who think you have to be a full-time writer to be a writer. Yeah. And I think men especially, and bemoaning men, but they get carried away with the visual of it. You know, I'm an author. I don't, whereas actually for most people, you need a job. Yeah. And had I needed to have a job, you exactly. know, I would have got one. I'm not really a Patreon person. You know, I'm yeah, kind of like- you need to earn money. Yeah, people have got their own problems. They don't have to pay for mine. Yeah. You know, kind of, if I need a job, I'll get a job. So I would have, you know, I did always think if I can't sustain it, I will go back into teaching. But yeah sustained so great and also do you think as well your friend telling you to go with a pitch for a trilogy change things for you oh, do you massively, think? Yeah. yeah and I mean he did really help me because you know he's he was he had been a journalist in the past and he really um you know he he made my pitch better I mean now mm-hmm. I can pitch really well because I do pitching for tv so it's a much yeah, you've done it process, yeah you know but then it was like this idea of having one line summary and, all, you know, and I, to be fair to him, I probably should have paid him because I kept sending him the document. Back <laughs> yeah. And he was like, no, it's too long. No, it's too detailed. Where's the punchy ending? And so he really did. Um, yeah. And making it a three book deal, it gave me basically three years of safety, knowing that I had time 
to build on it. Yeah. And this is why I love the podcast because I think, you know, we can, we often don't really connect the dots with stuff like this. And it's really nice to think about it because it is those what if moments. And do you ever think about what happens if you would have gone to America? Yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, I, what what might have happened is I would have written the book and then sold it rather mm-hmm. than selling it before I'd written it. Yeah. But it would have been a very different book because obviously, mm-hmm. you know, it wouldn't have been a trilogy. For a exactly. Start. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just don't know. You know, I might have met some American man and be living over there. <laughs> you never, you <laughs> never, know. never know. Wouldn't have been as good as what But I think now. also, I think for, for all the what if moments, I think for the same reasons I never got a career in my 20s. I, you know, I was very much like I ran nightclubs, I ran restaurants. I mean, I was mm-hmm. working, but I was very, I've always been very wary of being tied down. Yeah. So I think because I always wanted a life less ordinary to a certain extent, mm-hmm. I think I would have found my way to it. Some way. Yeah. Yeah. A longer road. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. And that actually leads into your second slime doors moment, talking about your kind of 20s and earlier life. So you say in your second moment, you messed up your A-levels, so didn't get to go to Glasgow to do drama. And you think if you'd gone there instead of taking gear out, you would have pursued a career in acting. So again, love this moment. Take us back and tell tell me, how did you mess up your A-levels and why was this such a slime doors moment for you? Well, it was... Uh, there's a few elements to this. So when I was at school, right from a young age, I was always in every play. You know, I was mm-hmm. I was the actress in the school. Yeah, you know, that was your thing. job. And they were all like, it was it was even at school, it was going to be writing or acting, writing or acting, one of those two, you know, things. So I mean, I went to school in Edinburgh for my sixth form. I went to the Edinburgh Academy, and I did. I, you know, the first day I was there, I went and auditioned. Because I was boarding and one of the other girls was going to audition for the school play. I think it was Shakespeare, Measure for Measure. And she was like, come with me, come with me. And I got the lead and it was great. And it really immersed me in the the drama culture of the school. Um, So it wasn't just like a pipe dreamy thing. You know, it was Mm -hmm. like, they were like, yeah, you could do this. Yeah. Whatever. But my parents were never sure. My parents were very working class that had done quite well for themselves. The government was paying my tuition fees. It was like, no, this is, you need to go to university and blah, blah, blah. So yeah. I applied to Glasgow and to do English and drama because I thought it's a good balance. Cover both, both of the things that you like. You know, and because I was also writing stuff and, you know, school magazine stuff and I'd written plays for my old school. So it was it was one of those, it was always the two were linked. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but I was, you know, I had no inclination towards schoolwork you know I remember yeah. one time, I'm still in touch with him on Facebook now actually I think Mr Harris he said like are you going to take the Oxford exam and I I just laughed and I was like <laughs> you know chance of passing the Oxford exam he said yes you could yes you could I said no my brain maybe has that in it I said but my personality no never gonna happen you've got to <laughs> want to pass the Oxford exam you know yeah. like you know, and, and, you know, people who want to pass it much cleverer than me struggle. So I was not ever going to do the work. Um, so I was very much in the pub all the time and cafes mm-hmm. and all that stuff. So when my results came through, um, yeah, I messed it up. So I thought, right, I'll take a year out and then I'll try and go through clearing or whatever and find yeah similar. And then in my year out, I was working in a pub and I ended up going out with this sort of local gangster and there was all trauma. I ran away to a <laughs> in a stolen car. He was on a false passport. He was wanted a for A true me. year right. out story. It was a proper year out story. 
But I came back and I was still very emotionally entangled with this man. Mm -hmm. So when I was looking at clearing, and this is like, if ever there was, you know, an argument for don't ever let men rule your life kind of Mm -hmm. thing. You know, I was, I wanted to stay close. Like London was about as far as I wanted to go. Yeah. I ended up going to, it's now part of Brunel University, but it was the West London Institute of, West London Institute Polytechnic, basically. And I ended up doing English and history um, because my parents kind of talked me out of the drama side of it. But I think as with all these things, I, you know, I, I, I think the writing is probably, I think I, my personality, I think I would have ended up with severe eating disorder. I think I would have really worried about the physicality of acting, you know, yeah. like I think, I think I'm better suited. Also, I'm really lazy. You know, I like that, you know, even going to set visit, I'm like, God, this is so tedious. Boring. Yeah, a lot of hanging around. And like, there's a lot lines. of hanging around and it's cold and it's yeah. like, people have got to get up early. Whereas writing, you're like, oh, look at me on my sofa. Bang, bang, bang the keyboard. There you go. So, but I do have moments. I, You know, if I would lie if I said I didn't have moments thinking, God, what if, you know, if I had done that? Because I could have still written as well as acted, you know? It's so good because it's got so many angles to it. Because I guess the first one is, is that, you know, as you say, if you did past your A-levels, you would have gone um, Mm. to Glasgow and you would have done drama. But I mean, you you talk about your year out and you kind of said, you know, it had its ups and downs and it was absolutely (laughs) crazy. But do you think you know, without that year out, like obviously we can often look back at some oh, crazy my whole life would be totally happened. different. That yeah. year out changed my my worldview. It changed my view on men. Mm. I mean, I probably would have been as wild in different ways, but, you know, it was an insane year out. And, and you know, there, there, it's hard with the drama thing. It's the only thing, the other thing I had a passion for, but I also am a great believer in if you really want to do something, you will do it. So my passion for it was not as big as... Strong, yeah you know, I could have, I should have pursued it and I could have pursued it, but I got distracted by the things, which makes me think wasn't, maybe me, it wasn't, really, you know, and yeah. this is to make people up and do yeah. all that. Well, I'm really glad you didn't go down the acting route because <laughs> you, you have a massive talent for what you're doing now, Thank but you. you, you talk about your parents and it's something that we always speak about in terms of, you know, our parents want us to do certain things. And uh, do you think kind of, you know, having that year out, they they then felt like they had the time to be like, come on, I think you don't do the drama thing. And do you think that also changed a lot for you? I think they never quite grasped what a passion it was for me. Mm-hmm. I don't Because they, I was at boarding school, they would come along and see the odd thing. They, I think they never took it seriously as a subject, you know, in that way of parent. My, you know, my mum is now 82, my dad's dead, he would be yeah. seven. So different, completely different generation, you know, and, and both come from hard young lives you know like I mean not hard hard but you know my no, dad yeah died. they were all you know all in children's homes that you know that kind of thing yeah so I don't I think I think they kind of were just happy I went to you yeah. by the end of that year out you know I think they were like Jesus Christ what's going on because also my sister never was any trouble you oh, know there's always so one it wasn't isn't there? like the older sister who it wasn't like I was following in the footsteps of a yeah. older sister you know yeah and also yeah. you know what you said about the fact that We've all done it. We've all followed love and made stupid decisions. But actually, in this case, the fact that you did want to stay close to this guy and be in London meant that you didn't go to Glasgow and other. Yeah. So there's, there's lots of things it's, that it's feel not like some, it was I mean, I couldn't be. have gone to Glasgow because they wouldn't have me because I messed up my A levels, but I could have gone somewhere else on a drama course. Yeah. I didn't, you know? And again, that's like, I should have, I could have, but I didn't. So, yeah. you know, it's that, you know, you, you just have to crack on. But as it's transpired, it's weird you find yourself in the world anyway. So now mm-hmm. I'm writing TV and I'm in the world. So it's yeah. like... Just in a know, different type of... like you know, as you say, way. And so you still get the magic of it. And, you know, I love movies. So, you know, I'm, I'm writing an adaptation of The Death House. I, I love film. I want to get film on the way. And I think I, I think I am, I am liking the... It sounds awful, but the power side of it mm. rather than the performance side of it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I love the fact that you kind of make the point that you, you feel like you've come full circle in a way because actually, you know, maybe there's so many different ways that we can be in the, you know, the fashion world, the arts world, that you yeah. don't have to be the model. You don't have to be the and designer. And when I look back at my young childhood when I was at boarding school and I would write the school play and direct the school play, you know, so actually, I mean, yeah. I've been in the school, but other plays, but when I'd written it, I wanted to direct it. I didn't want to there be you in. go. Yeah. So you come full round, you know, yeah. so I think I'm just a control freak. <laughs> oh, no, that's so great. Um, And 
that again leads us on to your last moment. So you say you almost didn't take a meeting with Left Bank because you weren't sure you wanted to sell behind her eyes. But um, politeness made you do it and it changed your life massively. So we all have those times when we don't want to do a call, we don't want to take a meeting, but we never, ever know where it will lead. And this moment is an epic, life-changing moment for you. So explain what happened. So I had been in LA for a month and um, it was... Behind Rise was not out, you know, I just mm-hmm. finished it, but there'd been a big splash about sales of it and America had bought it for a lot of money. And so when I was over there, obviously there was a lot of people vying for the rights for it. So I was doing meetings with all, you know, I was going to all the studios and having meetings and lunches and everyone was wooing me and that was great. And I came back and they'd set one up at, um, can't remember, some big movie company's gone out of my head here. And in the morning and then the afternoon, my agent said, oh, and Left Bank want to meet. And I was like, was that for TV? And they were like, yeah. And at that point in time, film was still the big deal. Like Girl on a Train film was being made. Gone Girl had just come out. Mm -hmm. For those big thrillers, it was like. series weren't so like. Yeah, I mean, Netflix was a thing, but it wasn't like a thing thing as it is yet, you know, it is now. Um, So I remember I was tired I went for the first meeting, then I had like an hour and a half gap. And I remember sitting in a pub in Holborn because I had this hour and I was having a sandwich, a glass of wine. And I was knackered because I'd not long been back from America. And I very nearly called Sean, my agent, and said, can you just ditch this meeting? So, So I go in. And, you know, the whole Left Bank team were there. So Andy Harries, who's like owns the mm-hmm. thing, but, and Suzanne Mackey, who's now left, but she produced, you know, she was part of the Behind Rise team. But the main person in the room for me was Jessica Burdett. So Jess had read the book mm-hmm. and loved it. Jess was the champion and she was the one who said, we've got to buy this book and she doesn't sleep very well. We both like don't sleep well yeah. and all the stuff. And so she, and she really got the book. And when I sat in that room, they all did. And they literally were like, you know, Jess taught me through her vision. And then Andy Harris was, he's like a force of nature. And he was like, we will make it. That's all I'm going to tell you. Sell it to us, we will make it. And they just were so on board with it. But I came out of that room and I rang Sean and I said, I don't care what they're offering. I want, we're selling it to them. They're going to make really? it. Really? Literally walked out, sold it to them. So then we fast forward a little bit and I'm at the read through and Jess and Suzanne say, God, we've had so much fun with this. We need to come up with something else. So, you know, everyone always says that. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah we're we'll meeting. And then Suzanne said, God love her. She said, um, well, we're all so busy. So rather than just try and find a meeting, let's go away for a night in a hotel. So she books us into this beautiful Oxfordshire hotel. <laughs> Amazing. Car comes for me. There's not even a train. And I had kind of an idea for a book at this point. And then we we sat and we were chatting about different female experiences. So there was Jess and Suzanne and me. And um, and we started just to talk about working women and stay-at-home husbands and how, you know, the guilt women feel with families. Yeah. And, and then it kind of morphed into insomnia. And then I came up with this idea about numbers and the stuff that runs through the show and the book. Um, and so it was originally just going to be television. Then I said, can I do it as a book first? And Jess oh, was that's like, interesting. Because also to plot the whole thing, it was yeah. like it was easier to write a book write anyway. Book. Yeah. Then I can sell the book. I don't have to worry about thinking about another story for the book. And then we have IP and yeah. we can. So we went that way. But Jess obviously was the champion of that. And so now she's EP'd this and she's now become like, you know, like she's my first port of call. Like with the next book, we will take it wide, but Jess will certainly. Oh. You know, she literally, that woman changed my life. If it had not been for that woman, yeah, I would still probably have a mortgage. I would, you know, like the whole thing changed Everything. the universe. And of course, with the success of Behind Her Eyes, that brought other people to my door. Mm-hmm. You know, and the TV show, she made this amazing show that was, you know, she was in charge of that show. I mean, I think this brings up so many different things because I think the first one is, is that we all have those things, whether it's a date or whether it's a meeting mm. that we don't want to go to. And often it's always the, those times when things happen. And do you think, did you get a gut? What was it that gave you the feeling when you said you came out and you were instantly like, I'm going to do this? Is it your gut? What What was it? It was, I, I just absolutely believed in them. I came yeah. out there thinking, I mean, Jess totally got the story and she totally understood where she wanted to take it. 
And she, you know, like, so I absolutely had trust in her. I had absolute faith in Andy and Suzanne that they would make it. And I just had that moment of Hollywood's a fickle beast. And yeah. these people, I, they'd, they'd got the whole team there. You know, they had the whole of the They were prepared. Part. They knew what they, they wanted. And they wanted this show. And what a life-changing moment, because I think as well, we spoke a bit before about, you know, the reputation that you have for yourself and the way that you act. And you must have had so many meetings with people that you didn't click with, that didn't get you, that didn't whatever. And I think, did it kind of really teach you a lesson that, you you know, you don't have to just take the first thing that comes in the biggest money. You can wait to find the people that really Absolutely. get you. I, and it was with that, I, I felt so it, what that decision gave me was faith in my own gut instinct. Because oh, yes. It's easy to be swayed by what other people think, you know, mm-hmm. and actually if it's your gamble, which all these things are, it's a bet. Yeah. You're placing a bet. If you let someone have the option on something, you're placing a bet. Like a matter of blood option was with some lovely people for 10 years. And I love those people. They're great friends. Mm-hmm. Got made. Yeah. So, you know, now I've sold it to someone else. We're on the roll. We're, you know, and it's exciting. And and weirdly, the guy who runs Red Planet now, who is head of TV at Red Planet, Tom Mullins, he was the exec on my episode of New Tricks, which was the really? first I wrote. So like 13 years ago. And of course, we've both changed so much. In yeah. That, our careers have changed, but still the same person. So, we, you know, it's quite full circle It's quite nice to have that. You know, we always joke and was like, so I'm writing the first episode now. And I was like, don't worry, Tom, it's not going to be 80 pages like after my new drink. Oh, oh, that's lovely. So it's a lovely and, kind of full circle. Yeah. And like, listen, we it gives us a nice kind of story of faith and having faith that, you know, if you keep going on both sides, like they worked hard to get you. Yeah. You worked hard to get where you did. Um, and one thing we touched on a bit earlier, which I wanted to ask about is, now that you do kind of blend these worlds of screenwriting and, and your kind of novel writing... Do you now write novels differently? Do you kind of always have the the TV or the film in your mind? I don't do it that way because I think, like, my novels are not the most, you know, I've got friends who write much more successful novels than me Mm -hmm. but can't get a film option. So there's something about the way I write which is clearly more cinematic. Yes, than other some writers. This, my stories are maybe more cinematic. They might not be the best-selling books, but there's something Mm -hmm. about them that appeals to TV. So I think I already write in quite. I mean, I'm probably a slightly better screenwriter than I am a novelist. Mm-hmm. You know, I think maybe once I've honed it more, maybe that's where I fit better in some yeah. way. And I do find like my last book that I handed in was a lot pacier. I'm having to slow it down a bit and add some more, you know, yeah. layers to it. Um, because I think I do find myself looking at a scene in a book now and thinking, what is the purpose of this scene? Yeah. Wait, because is this going to get cut? And even I'm working with Dennis on The Death House over this past couple of years um I've learned so much from him as well Mm -hmm. just in like how do we we need an actor for this part what's in it for this actor you know whereas in a book you don't think about that these characters can be throw away they can be in the background but actually you know and also I learned like is like with writing insomnia and you kind of sometimes I'll be writing I think does this have to be in a car can they have this conversation walking down the street that's a lot cheaper so you know I'm like Charlotte my sort of the the sort of on the ground producer she always says to the director Sarah's a very production friendly writer yeah, great because, you know, if she says oh we need to save the money for this I'm like okay how can I have the same scene and it's so an interesting way without yeah. costing money you know so you do think more in terms but whereas with a matter of blood we're going big yeah you know we're going everything big budget so it's quite nice after insomnia is such a claustrophobic show so you, you yeah, are to do both it's so interesting and so it must be so interesting for you to learn all these things and I know it, I mean when I ask about the what if so what if you hadn't have gone to that meeting it does sound like Left Bank were very determined to get you somehow but yeah. let's just say you didn't go didn't meet Left Bank how different do you think w- things oh would be God. for you? Oh my God I think someone would have made a terrible behind her eyes film mm-hmm. I don't think anyone would have done it justice like they did. Yeah. Um. I mean I I I think that and it kind of goes against well no it fits totally with sliding doors actually because Mm -hmm. spoiler mute for a couple of seconds (laughs) they end up together at the end yes you know I thought you were going to say she dies but yes they end up together at the end together at the end for however they get there yes so part of me thinks 
I would still be doing screenwriting. It might yeah. have been a different journey and a tougher journey. I might not have my own show at this stage. Yeah. It might still be in other people's rooms or, you know. So I think I would have got there, but I think Left Bank and especially Jess changed my world. You know, oh, like, yeah. she literally changed my world. I mean, Insomnia is dedicated to her. That's how much she changed my Oh, that's so nice. Sarah, it's been so lovely to hear all these moments. They're so brilliant. And I'm really excited to see kind of what you do with Insomnia. Can't wait to see kind of when it comes out and who the cast are and how it kind of adapts. And I think you're such an inspiration to people to kind of number one, keep going, but also everything you've said about the people that you work with and the, the kind of chances that you've taken. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for coming on and chatting all about your moments today. And thank you for having me. It's been such fun. Oh, thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sliding Doors. If you've enjoyed our chat and found it inspiring, I would love it if you could rate, review, share and subscribe. Thank you so much. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.